Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Danny Nevins, and we're studying Tractate Ketubot. We're beginning today with a new chapter, Parak Shmini, Ha'isha Shinaflu, which begins on pages, uh, page 88, Ayin Chet Amud Aleph. The opening Mishnah is going to talk to us about a woman who inherits property uh, around the time of her engagement. And we'll see that there's a bit of a debate about who really owns her property. It's a bit disturbing, of course, because uh, this brings us head-to-head with rabbinic ideas of property. Uh, A woman is allowed to own property before she's married and uh, to dispose of it at that point. But once she's married, then she no longer is able to manage her own affairs. Um, rather, her husband has what's called usufruct uh, rights, that is to say that he gets to manage her property and even gets to keep any income that comes from it, while the uh, the principal still belongs to her. So if they would be divorced or he would have predeceased her, then uh, she would be able to have total control of her property again. So what's going on in this Mishnah is um, it imagines that a woman inherits property uh, before she's engaged, so Beit the schools of Shammai and Hillel, their students, uh, both are in agreement that as long as she inherited the property before she was engaged to this man, she's allowed to sell and um, and she can take the property and it's all it's all valid. But what happens if she inherits property after she's already engaged to the man. Naflula mishanit arsa. Here there's a disagreement. Beit Shammai omrim timkor, omrim lo timkor. Beit Shammai says that during the period of her engagement, if she inherits property, she can continue to function as the manager of her own property. She can still sell it. Beit Hillel says, no, she can't. Once she's engaged, she sort of loses her ability to uh, dispose of property like this. However, what we're seeing here is that this disagreement is only before the fact. So if a woman has inherited property after she's engaged and she now wants to sell the property without her husband's permission or her fiancé's permission, uh, Beit Shammai is saying, well, if you're asking before the fact, then okay, you can do it. Whereas Beit Hila is saying no, even though she's not yet married, she's already um, has to behave like her future husband has proprietary rights over her sales. However, they both agree that once she's already done it, once it's after the fact, Bidiyevid, um, then her sale is valid because, after all, she is not yet married. Amar Rabbi Yehuda, the Mishnah continues, Rabbi Yehuda asks this question. He says, He tells the story that the sages came before Rabban Gamliel, who was the Nasi, who was the, um, the uh, president of the Beit Din back then, of the Sanhedrin, and they said this question, 
Lo yizkeh b'nechassim? Wait a second, what's going on here? Once the couple is engaged, the man has acquired the woman. He has actually gotten Kenyan and he's, uh, she's agreed to become his wife. So now that he, he basically owns her body, how can he not also um, own her property? Rabban Gamil's reply to the Chachamim is rather surprising. He says to them the strange thing, Al hachadashim anu boshim, elishatem megalgalim alenu et hayishanim. He says, about the new things we are embarrassed, and yet you are coming and bringing up or rolling before us the, um, the old things as well? What does this mean? We'll have to interpret it. But Ben Gamil seems to be saying that it's actually a bit embarrassing that a woman does not get ownership of her property during the marriage. That is to say, if she were to inherit property uh, one, when she's already married to her husband, uh, there's no obvious reason why she shouldn't be able to buy and sell her own property. After all, she inherited it, not him. Uh, and so, and yet that's the rule, because there's a Mishnah that says so. So he says, we're, we're embarrassed, we can't explain. I don't think he's embarrassed in a uh, gender equality type of sense. It just doesn't make logical sense that the Mishnah would say that a woman can't uh, dispose of her own property that she's inherited when she's married. And now you're raising up an even more problematic situation about the property that she inherited before she was even married. Uh, in other words, Rabban Gamliel is uh, a bit flummoxed by uh, the, the statements of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel, or more specifically of Beit Hillel, that she should not sell her own property, which she acquired when she was only engaged and not even when she was fully married. Now there's a second half of this Mishnah, which the first half was dealing with before and after she's engaged. The second half deals with before and after she's actually married, the, the wedding ceremony being called Nisu'in, what we call the Sheva Bracha today. Um, so it begins, Naflula Mishinisait. If she inherited her property after she was already married, fully married, that um, if she inherits property as a married woman and then she tries to sell it, that the um, her husband is allowed to go revoke the sale and take the property back from her purchasers. So she's not allowed to sell real estate um, as a married woman without her husband's uh, involvement. Um, but what happens if she inherited the property before she got married, and then she got married. Ad shaloni seit vini seit. In this case, Rabban Gamliel Amir, imachravanat nakayam. He says, well, if she inherited before the marriage, then she got married, and then she bought and sold, right? Um, that that is a valid sale because after all, this was property that belonged to her from before her marriage. So it's the only property she acquired as a married woman that she has no right to sell. Remember Rabbi Chanina ben Akavia, Amrulif uh, Neva ben Gamliel, Choyel v'Zakavi Shalo Yisker ben Nechasim. The same question is raised to Rabban Gamliel. Wait a second. Why are you saying that if a unmarried woman acquires property and then gets married, she's allowed to sell the property? Does that make logical sense? After all, uh, when the man married her, he acquired the woman. And isn't it logical that he also acquired uh, her property? 
Therefore, how could she be allowed to sell the property that she inherited before being married to him? And he gives the same reply that he did in the first half of the Mishnah. We're embarrassed to explain uh, the, uh, the, the new situation where she's married, inherits property as a married woman. We're embarrassed to explain why it is that she can't sell that. After all, it makes no logical sense. It's her inheritance. And uh, now you're telling me that you're still troubled by the fact that she could sell property that she acquired prior to her marriage? And so he's sort of blowing them off, but I think pointing them in a different direction. The Mishnah ends with a different position of Rabbi Shimon, um, who disagrees, or I'm sorry, he differentiates between Nechassim and Nechassim, between different types of property. There's some properties that the woman owns which her husband knows about, and in that case, uh, she really shouldn't be selling property that he knows about, uh, but what about property that he doesn't know about? She inherited this thing and she kept it secret from him. Uh, in that case, um, she is allowed to sell it. So according to Rabbi Shimon's little clarification, uh, the husband's knowledge is, is determinative. If the man knows that she's got a property and she goes and sells it without his permission, then, um, then that's not a valid sale. What, what is this about? I guess they're saying that uh, the woman, in theory, does own her own property, uh, but the man's consciousness uh, is significant because he is, in essence, her lord um, in the traditional understanding of marriage. Therefore, what he knows, uh, and she knows that he knows, uh, he has authority over. But uh, this leads to some deceptive things, and I'm going to skip most of this stuff and pick up at the end of Ayin Chet Amud Bet and tell you this story, which continues on to the beginning of the next page. Uh, it's a story about a woman who uh, is about to get remarried, and she has property from her first marriage, um, or her inheritance, and she doesn't want her second, her new husband to, uh, to have rights to this property. So what does she do? She uh, writes a deed of transfer of the property uh, to her own daughter before she marries this man. Okay, so here's, here it is in the, in the Aramaic. Hahi itita, that woman, she wants to uh, literally chase away, but uh, let's say that, to hide from her husband her property. So she writes them off as a deed. She deeds them to her daughter. In Siva Igarsha, she gets married, but later she gets divorced. So um, that's good. So she she was careful. She protected her property. Her husband did not acquire it. But now she's a divorced woman, and guess what? She wants her property back from her daughter. After the Kami de Rav Nachman. So she comes in front of Rav Nachman to make her case. Um, and he's, she says, you know, I want, I want this property back from my daughter. But the daughter has her own, uh, you know, deed to this property. And I guess isn't so quick to relinquish it. So what's Rav Nachman going to do? Kari Rav Nachman Lishtara. He rips apart this deed of sale. So, or deed of transfer of property. Um, which is a pretty radical thing for Rav Nachman to do. I mean, this is a valid deed, and he just goes and rips it up in front of this uh, this woman, which, of course, is good for the mother and bad for the daughter. Now, this was apparently a controversial thing that he did, so 
as Rav Anan the Kami de Bar Ukva. So Rav Anan, a contemporary there, goes in front of Mar Ukva. Now Mar Ukva is the exilarch, he's the, the rabbi who, or the sage who's the head of the Jewish community there in Babylonia, and, you know, he's a higher authority. And he's sort of tattling on Rav Nachman. He says, look at this Rav Nachman, that farmer, I guess it's a word of disrespect, how he's tearing apart people's documents. Well, Marukba doesn't want to be so quick to question Rav Nachman. So he says, Tell me how this incident went exactly. He wants to hear all the details. Because the way this, um, this rabbi uh, has presented the case, Rav Nachman is just sort of summarily ripping apart legal, valid uh, documents, which sounds outrageous. But once he starts to tell the, the actual story of what happened, um, he says, um, oh, well, this, you're talking about a, uh, a special type of document that was made to hide property from the husband. Um, about that, we've got the statement of Shmuel, um, that anybody who brings a sh'tarm of rachat liadi, a document that was clearly intended just to hide property from a husband, um, I'm going to rip it apart. So uh, at this, uh, the story sort of indicates that there is this valid type of legal stratagem, which is to sort of hide property from uh, a partner, or, or in this case from a husband, um, and then after the marriage is done, to go back and say it was never meant to be a permanent transfer. It's a sort of the way we sell comments, I guess, that um, everyone knows it's not meant to be a permanent sale. Just to absorb the, the weight of this a little bit for a moment, uh, it is remarkable that Rabban um, Gamil, the Mishnah, and then uh, Rav Nachman here in the Gemara, and backed up by no less than Marukba, the Exilarch, um, all seem to indicate that while the husband does have proprietary rights over his woman's uh, real estate. Um, there are ways of hiding it from him or of um, at least allowing her some control over her own property in certain circumstances. In this way, the sages seem to be both accepting that the husband has this usufruct and has the right to prevent sales, but also undermining that authority a little bit. And perhaps in that ambivalence, we have a bit of an opening um, to a more progressive understanding of uh, gender equality um, as we look at, uh, at property rights in our own day as well. Thank you for listening to The Daily Daf. We'll finish up our week of learning tomorrow by continuing on Ayin Tet Amud Aleph on page uh, 79a. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.